Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away, because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casual and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing waking up early and intentional living with 5AM Joel. Yeah, Joel, this is going to be a good one, man. Our friend Joel is joining us for this episode. We, we both met Joel last year at a personal finance conference, and we immediately bonded with him over a mutual love of craft beer. And a love of the name Joel, right? Yeah. <laughs> I hate that name, actually. <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, we both love craft beer. Uh, and we also bonded over just talking about nerdy money things like investing in real estate, financial independence, things like that. But like the title of this episode hints at, Joel has been waking up early for years now, and we're, we're really excited to talk through how that has impacted him personally, as well as some practical tips on how uh, a night owl like myself can, can start waking up early. Also, he sends out a special email every morning when he gets up, so we're going to get to that too. So Joel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me, guys. Hey, we're glad to have you, Joel. Uh, it's been too long since we've hung out in person, but I'm glad we get to chat uh, right now. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah. So every every episode, Matt and I we drink a, a craft beer, which I know you're you're fond of as well. And today on the show, we're drinking a beer called Black House by Modern Times. And th- big thanks to my buddy Craig, who is a brewer there actually, and sent some beers our way. So with that in mind, the fact that we drink an awesome beer, Joel, the reason we do that is because we're prioritizing something that we care about today, something that's really important to us while we're saving thoughtfully for the future. So what's your splurge? Like what's your craft beer equivalent? Well, you're not going to like this and I might get some um, backlash from the FI community, but my wife and I, maybe like three or four times a year, we will spontaneously buy flights to Vegas and go and gamble for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I feel like that's the definition of splurge because yeah. it's just... I think most people would completely consider that just a total waste of money. <laughs> oh, definitely. And like, we're only a few minutes into the podcast and we've talked about drinking and gambling. <laughs> Pretty Let's cool. see if we can sneak some more yeah, vices yeah. in here. It's only uphill from here, guys. But it's funny. Like, um, there's a lot of people trying to rid drinking and gambling like out. And as much as I've tried to kill this from our like spending or like our annual spend, I just can't do it because we have so much fun. I'm going to budget for it and I'm going to continue to do it. And uh, yeah, we love it. So Vegas it is. (laughs) That's so awesome. Well, Joel, let's continue that beer talk for a second. You used to homebrew, is that right? Yes, I used to homebrew. Nice. Yeah. Well, so we get asked about that uh, like a good amount just since we're beer lovers, but uh, we don't brew beer ourselves. Just on average, like how much money can brewing your own beer save you? Oh, save you or cost you? <laughs> because um, I think that a lot of people think that going into the homebrew hobby is going to save them money on beer. And yes, it kind of can, but sometimes it it can't. And I think with me, my homebrew hobby turned into like an obsession. Like I threw myself into it. So instead of spending less money on beer, I started spending more money on beer. But I calculated it all out. Like I can probably brew a beer if I was bottling for about with all the ingredients and um, all the equipment costs and uh, not including time for about a dollar a beer would be like the sort of the cheaper end. And with really good ingredients, I could brew for about $2 per beer. That's that's how much it would cost. It would cost me about 100 bucks to make a really good beer and that'd be 50 bottles. So about two bucks a beer. And when I started kegging, like, yeah, it's, it's not bad, right? It's still cheaper than drinking out, but, um, you can buy a decent craft, like six pack for two bucks a beer these days, I would say, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And plus it probably, here's one of my biggest reasons for not getting into brewing my own beer is just the assumption that it's going to take me a long time to get good. So I'm going to have to drink a lot of bad beer for a long time until I began to actually make decent tasting beers. Was that the case for you? Yeah. It's both. um, (laughs) If you make a bad batch, you're stuck drinking two cases of bad beer. And then (laughs) second is variety. Like let's say like you brew a pale ale you've got to like it takes two weeks to brew then it takes four weeks to age in the bottles or the keg or whatever just to make it taste good and then you only get stuck with you know two cases of pale ale that's it and so with me i started to think you know instead of waiting six weeks for a batch how about i brew like a pale ale and a hefeweizen and an ipa and i could stagger them out so that like i'm brewing each week and bottling every second week and like pulling out a new beer every now and then And that's when I started to really, like, at one point I had, like, eight different beers on the go. Eight different beers. This is, like, uh, your own beers, like, on at once? 
oh, simultaneously. Like oh, wow. I started a mini <laughs> like microbrewery. I hit the legal homebrew limit in 2014. I brewed over 200 gallons of homebrew in my spare bathroom. Wow. So you're, you're cut off. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, you know, so I spent a lot of money on the ingredients and stuff like that. Um, but also when you brew your own beer, everyone wants to taste it. So out of those two cases that you brew, you might maybe drink a six pack or 12 of them, but the rest go to your friends and your family because everyone wants to try it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's expensive just because you give away a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to your friends. I feel like that's a noble cause, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, kind of on that note, when we first met, you were taking time off from work. It's kind of, I think when you first, you know, right around then is when you quit your job. And you were even looking into working for a brewery back then, maybe even for free, like just for the experience. I don't think that panned out for you. But can you tell us, like, how did you get to that point where you could take a planned year-long sabbatical? Because that's what you had planned at the time was just for, for a year. But um, yeah, can you share a quick version, basically, of your, of your money story? Yeah, yeah, I guess... We got to go all the way back to my childhood <laughs> because, and at the time it was so frustrating as a kid, the rules and uh, money stuff that I learned and I didn't really understand. And then later in life, I look back and I'm like, man, I'm so glad that I learned that crap. Yeah. A lot of it was for my parents. My parents taught me how to work hard when I was little. I didn't get an allowance. I had to do jobs around the house, like during the week. This was like, I, I had to work really hard. And then on the weekend, I could do chores to earn money from my parents. And they would pay me five cents uh, per chore that I would like, you know, do for them. They just taught me a really good work ethic. And when I was 14, I started working at McDonald's. And, so, and I worked all the way through high school. In fact, I never stopped working until I just got off work. There was no break after that. So, like, my parents just taught me to work, work, work. The other thing unique that my parents did was they taught me that there was a cost to live. And so they did this in, like, funny ways. Like, as a little kid, they would charge me if I was late to school. So <laughs> my mom worked out that it cost her $6 per day to send me to school. So if I woke up late, and she didn't, like, wake me up. So if I woke up late and arrived late to school and, like, was marked as late, she would charge me 6 bucks. And this was not negotiable. When I was 14, yeah, I got a job and uh, my mom sat me down and said, uh, cool, from now on, you're buying your own clothes. Um, you're, you're pay for your own gas when I drive you somewhere. If you want a new skateboard when you take it to the movies, like whatever it is, you're paying. And then like it kept getting worse and worse as I got older in high school. So it was, I was 17 when my mom said, hey, when you graduate high school, the day after, I'm going to start charging you rent. And I was so angry at the time. I was like, Mom, this is so unfair. Like, no one else has to pay rent to live in their own house. But, yeah, my, so my mom started charging me rent. And she also made me cook dinner for the family once a week, every single week. And if I didn't cook dinner, I would um, have to pay for the family dinner, like 50 bucks for takeout or pizza or something like that. So, anyway, all these, like harsh lessons of what I thought was like a, such a, you know, a tough childhood was so cool because my parents were basically teaching me how to be independent and how to live independent of them. Yeah. And so that's sort of like the, the model that I like got molded into. I just, I knew it wasn't normal because my friends weren't doing the same thing, <laughs> but I accepted it as what has to be done just obey your parents really and i sort of trusted that i would be okay and then 
man, since then it just like skyrocketed. My my wife and I right now are, are really well set up. Um, we we I had a really good savings rate for the last twenty years, ever since McDonald's. Really, I, my income has always been more than my expenses, and I've uh, studied a lot about investing and tried to become a good investor as well. My wife and I now, so I'm thirty four and she's thirty two. We're not financially independent in the true sense of the word, if you want to look at calculations wise, but we are so far along the path that we are. Um, we are free and free in the truest sense of the word. We can do whatever we want for the rest of our life. And that's what all the harsh lessons have taught me. So mm. yeah, that's my overview. Well, that that's fascinating, Joel. I love that your parents, your mom in particular, it sounds like played such an integral role in how you came to view money and, and work too. And so I guess, you know, Matt mentioned your sabbatical and how you, you decided to take a year off of work with work having been such ingrained in you to, at, since such a young age as such an important aspect of your life and of kind of saving for the future. What was it like for you when you quit your job? That must have been kind of a jarring experience to a certain degree because it had been so ingrained that, you know what, you're supposed to be a worker. Yeah, it's so weird. I've had like all these epiphanies since my time off. And actually, that's why I started blogging because I was like, I don't even know, like things are changing so fast. I better document some of this stuff so that I know what I did this whole year off. I think at first I felt a little bored because I was such a hard worker. So I tried to like fill my day with all of these activities. I had a few investment projects that I threw myself into, so they kept me busy for a while. I think I felt a little guilty as well. Taking time off when you're supposed to be working or you think you're supposed to be working is is, is difficult to do. It's like a squirmy, uncomfortable thing. You're kind of just, you're stuck with yourself all day. It's, yeah, it's so strange. And then after a while, you, you slowly relax. You get You pick up other hobbies. You get really creative. I don't know. You kind of just get used to it. Now, I it's been probably 20 months. I was supposed to just take a year off, but things have been going great. I haven't really found out what my next move is yet, and I don't want to rush into anything. So, yeah, now things are things are going really good. I'm, I've adjusted pretty well to um, this no-working lifestyle. By the way, Joel, doesn't he have like the best accent ever? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Much better accent than this, Joel, uh, talking in the mic. Joel, you should have your own podcast, man. Yeah, I'm uh, totally envious. Well, actually, I proposed this. I think when we met, I was like, Matt, if you change your name to Joel, then I'll come on as a third host and we'll call it the Three Joels <laughs> podcast. And I think that would be hilarious. Launching oh. in 2021. I see it. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. As your name implies, you've made it a just rock solid habit to wake up at 5 a.m. every single morning. How did all that start? You know, you mentioned your mom charging you if you woke up late. Like, did it start back then? No, no. Like, oh man, I was such a grumpy kid. I used to love to sleep. <laughs> I've never been a morning person. My mom used to like just try everything to encourage me to wake up early. So no, it never started in my childhood, even through my 20s I've always been a night owl like I love staying up drinking that's my whole thing and then about three years ago I was actually at a late night party with a friend we were making fun of people that got up early we were like you know <laughs> yeah and uh we were joking about like some some of these responsible adults <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then he said something really surprising he was like hey you know what I tried getting up at 5 a.m once yeah it's actually kind of awesome 
And I was like, what? We were like, <laughs> just ragging it. And he said, uh, no, um, yeah, it's really, really good. In fact, um, I got more accomplished than I ever thought I would. It completely changed my life. Yeah, it's awesome. And I was like, well, if it's so awesome, why are you not doing it? And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, that's why. Because it's extremely hard. And I thought, what? Really? And yeah, and so it just sort of clicked. I was like, extremely hard, but extremely rewarding. That's a really good combination for me. I want to try it. So the very next day, we, we kind of like made a dare to each other. I was like, all right, tomorrow morning, we're going to get up at 5 a.m. And um, I haven't stopped since. Like, we, I went 30 days and then just kept going. So that's how it started. And um, man, it's been... It's just been a, such a cool lesson. So weird. Yeah. So, so uh, Joel, part of the reason I think we wanted to have you on because it's start of a new year and this is like one of those big changes maybe that someone might decide to make at the beginning of a new year, right? I'm going to start waking up earlier to accomplish more, get more done or, and feel better maybe even. I don't know. So like, what are the biggest benefits you've realized from waking up at 5 a.m. every day? So... I guess the reason that I started and the reason that I keep going is is a little different. The reason that I started was, like I said, it was like a dare. And this was the person I was three years ago. Like, I was a workaholic. So what I did when I first got up in the morning is I worked. And I'd say the first benefit that I noticed personally was I just got way more stuff done. Just so much more stuff accomplished within my day. When you wake up early, like there's no distractions, no one's up. You've got like really good mental clarity. So you can apply extreme focus to individual tasks. I remember the three things that I was doing almost every morning were reading. I wanted to read more because I wanted to learn more. And your mind is like a sponge in the morning. So I first started, like I used to read maybe like two or three books a year, like most people. Now I'm crushing out like two or three a month. So, and it's just 20 minutes nice. a day consistently. So reading more, I started working more. It'd get to, like, I'd get up at five, it'd get to 6 a.m. And I'd be like, right, it's time to start working. So I'd pull out my laptop, I'd smash out replies to all the emails that I had sitting in my inbox from the night before. And I'd just like get onto planning my day, planning my meetings, planning my calls. And just that benefited me like huge. I was in sales. So like the harder you work, uh. <laughs> the more you sell, the more yeah. money you make. Direct correlation uh, between working more and making more money when in sales, for sure. Well, and then that's like probably added to my motivation as well. When I saw that, I was like, hang on a sec. If I'm making more money getting up early, I should get it. Like if you were paid to get up early, you would do it too, right? <laughs> so yeah, and then and real estate as well. Like, oh man, I threw myself into, you could call it my side hustle if you want. Um, I threw myself into real estate investing. So I started studying and uh, making phone calls and doing a lot of research and putting bids on properties. So within the first, I think it was like 90 days of getting up at 5 a.m., I had bought one investment property fully while holding a full-time job, as well as had another one under contract as well. So it's a pretty intense process, but like if you get up early each day and work you know, a couple of hours on contracts or whatever you need to do, you can get it done. So yeah, productivity, absolutely the biggest benefit I saw. Well, Joel, I mean, so since you, I mean, you go by 5am Joel online, like that's the name of your site. Yeah. Um, like, do you feel that you're no longer allowed to sleep in, right? Like how much of your identity is tied up into the name? Cause I mean, I'll say this, I'll share a quick example as a professional photographer. Once I started shooting and once I kind of put myself out there as a professional photographer, once I, you know, I tied my name to that, 
certainly I enjoyed it, but I, I did feel more, you know, there's more pressure to take awesome photos and to kind of always do that. And so how much of this for you has affected your ability to, uh, <laughs> to actually sleep in? So are you asking if like I get up because I have to now? Because, <laughs> um, I mean, when's the last so, time you broke the rules and you slept in past five? Oh, it happens. It happens. <laughs> and, but it happens very rarely. And okay. so, yeah, I guess uh, 5amjoel.com was sort of like, I'm just pick a name and roll with it. In hindsight, it's probably bad because now, um, yeah, I, I sort of live with that identity, identity and I have to. But someone asked me the other day, like, if you were the only person left in the world, would you still get up at 5am? And the answer is yes, I, I That's would. That's a great question, by um, the way. I wish I had thought of that. Yeah. And actually, I asked the question for a lot of the things that I do. I got it. Um, Derek Sivers did something recently along that question. He said, if you were the last person on Earth, would you do what you're doing? Like, would you create art? Would you like what you do throughout the day? Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for others? And I get up at 5 a.m. It's it's like purely a personal thing. I do it for myself. So, yes, I would continue to do it. And yeah, people tease me. Like, if I sleep in, they, like, send me an email and they're like, hey, you probably should be 7 a.m. Joel or, like, ah, <laughs> But the accountability is there and I actually like the accountability. If I sleep in and um, I miss one of my morning emails, people notice and I get right back on track the next day. Is there, is there, is there anyone else keeping you accountable? Do you have a friend or does your wife join you in this endeavor? Uh, <laughs> So when I first started, yes, my buddy kept me accountable. And that's one of the tips, like maybe I'll talk about later is like, yeah, get an accountability partner. If you and I, or if the three of us like promise to get up at 5am, we could just text each other each morning. If you don't respond, I know you're sleeping in. So like, it's a great way to, to stay on track and stay motivated. My wife is naturally blessed with the time management superhuman skills already. So she doesn't need any more productivity. And what, like everything that I do is just to bring me up to her already awesome level. So I'll give my wife a break. She can sleep in as much as she wants. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, well, we got so much more to get to with you, Joel, including, yeah, we're going to get to in a little bit, some of those specific tips on how other people can take that idea of waking up early, uh, adding some productivity into their life, getting more accomplished, and, and maybe just feeling better in general, I don't know, uh, for waking up early. And you know what? Maybe Matt and I will give us give ourselves a challenge to do that too later oh, on. Crap. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, but you're going to have to stay tuned till after the break to see if that actually happens. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. 
Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Kachava is the all in one superfood shake made up of high quality plant based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money all right we're back from the break and we're talking with 5 a.m joel let's dive into just intentional living a little bit here joel anyone listening can tell that you are really intentional with how you spend your money with how you spend your time And so let's kind of launch into a quick little anecdote here. You recently wrote about dumping Amazon Prime. Why did you make that decision? So it started out as like just every year I like sort of review our spending and our subscriptions. And I just wanted to cut down on like some of our subscriptions. So it started like as a money saving technique. And Amazon Prime, like it's not that expensive. What is it? A hundred bucks a year or something like that. Yeah, like a little over a hundred bucks. Not much. Yeah. But I've been a member for seven years, I think. So I started thinking about, like, what is the reason that I signed up in the first place? And, like, is that reason still valid today? And, like, what is, what, like, really, what are the benefits? And they've got maybe, like, 10 or 15 benefits to be a Prime member. But the main ones for me are free shipping, fast shipping, like, two-day delivery, 
And they've got that TV and movies service as well, which is like a streaming thing. So those are the really the only three relevant things. And seven years ago, they were huge, unique benefits. Like Amazon was crushing it. So I loved it for, you know, 80 bucks or whatever the membership was. I'm like, this is wicked. But <laughs> today it's 2019, 2020, free shipping and two day shipping. That's not unique anymore. Almost all big retailers offer some type of fast shipping and almost free shipping, like Walmart and Target and stuff like that. So that sort of just left the TV and movies, which, to be honest, I'm trying to move away from watching more TV and movies and stuff like that. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to cancel Amazon Prime and see how it goes. And by the way, there is no risk at all to canceling your Prime membership, like you just, if you don't like it, just sign back up the next day. There's no penalty or fee. They're not going to get mad or increase the cost. Like, who cares? Cancel it and then resubscribe. So anyway, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to do this as a trial period. So before I did, I, I took some notes on like my Amazon spend for 2018, 2017. And I spent like maybe, I don't know, a thousand bucks a year. And then I paid the, the annual subscription as well. And uh, since I quit, and that was, I uh, dumped it in 2000, uh, January this year, January 2019. So it's been a full year and I've spent about 120 bucks with Amazon. Yeah, so massive reduction in spending, which was the main goal. But the funny thing is, like, actually the true goal is this. Like, my friends tease me because they're like, oh, it's only 100 bucks and you're doing all this, like, effort to save 100 bucks. But the truth is that the value wasn't there for me anymore. So, like, I don't care if it's 100 bucks or 10 bucks or even $1. I don't want to pay for something that doesn't provide me value. So, yeah, unless it's free, like, yeah, I can live without it. So that was the reason behind Dumping Prime. Not only value too, but I, oftentimes when you're subscribed to something like that or when you have a membership, you feel forced to use it more often, right? And so it's just not only are you not getting value from it, but it's actually potentially costing you more money. <laughs> sure. And um, okay, so I spent a thousand bucks with Amazon in 2018 and only 120. So I probably spent more throughout the year on other websites and services, but it forced me to look at cheaper places. It forced me to look at, you know, other places that offer the same value for free. And um, that's the what I'm really going for is not to do the lazy, you know, I'll pull out my phone and just add it to my cart and buy it later. I think what you said, I had like this obligation to spend with Amazon when I was a Prime member. Now I don't. I can shop wherever I want. Yeah. And Joel, I love how you're kind of value focused. I think so many times in the personal finance game, we get maybe too concerned with a specific line item uh, and we're not actually concerned with the greater idea of how much value it adds to our life and kind of assessing it in that light. And I think if we kind of took everything under a microscope with the lens of value that that would help us make wiser decisions when it comes to our money. You you also, I feel like since value is your main priority, when it came to taking time off from your traditional job, that seemed to be the way that you weighed that as well, right? Because that that is like way more than 120 bucks. Like you're you're getting rid of your entire salary and you're saying, you know what, it's, it's worth it value-wise for me to have this time off of work instead. So can you kind of share what that process was like mentally to say, you know what, this, the value I'm going to derive from taking a year off of work is, is ultimately going to be worth it for me. Yeah. What was that proposition? Like how, how'd you think through that? 
Yeah, I mean, dude, you pretty much just described it right there. But I, I guess I'll say that I didn't really even know it until I was halfway through my sabbatical. So, like, this was one of the epiphanies that I had within taking time off work. Before I took time off work, it was purely a money thing. I only thought about the cost. And I was even asking people and researching, like, hey, how much does it cost to take a year off work? And um, there are several things that were in my head before I, like, handed in my letter of resignation. The first was, like, the, the income approach to taking a, a year off work. If you earn $100,000 a year as income and you take a full year off, it, it like, technically costs you $100,000 because you're going to miss that income. And so that's one way to look at it. And that hurts, like, just thinking about that, like, taking prime years off in your 30s, like, especially for a hard worker like myself. Second was like the expense approach. I was like, okay, well, you know, that's really potential income. So let's look at the true cost of living for a whole year. So I looked at all the things that my wife wanted to do. Uh, my wife and I wanted to do like travel and eat out and all of this stuff. And I calculated it all and I was like, how much is one year going to cost if I'm not working and we're traveling around? And that was like, I can't remember the number. It was maybe it was like 50,000 bucks or something like that. And even still, I'm like, oh, with no income, spending that much money like that is like going to hurt me throughout the year. I pulled the trigger anyway, because I'm confident on our FI numbers and stuff like that. And uh, then I started to relax a little bit like money just flows in and out of my life via like in through investments out through expenses and after a few months with no income I started to like get used to the fact that I'm okay with my cost of living like I've calculated pretty well and instead of thinking about how much everything costs me it's hurting me I'm like I'm negative about it I should start thinking about like the real value it's providing. So it's funny. I started to look at the word cost. It's like such a negative thing. Like we, when I, when you hear cost, you hear something that's taken away from your life. You, the um, words associated with it are like penalty and like bills or tax or fee or like stuff like that. The word value is completely different and they sort of mean the same thing. When you try to work out the cost of something, really, you just want to know the value of it. Like, what is the value? What is its worth? The word value sounds like um, it, like something that's in addition to your life that you think about potential. Like, what is the advantage? What is the like the benefit or like the profit from it? Like, what's the value of it? And um, when you think about what the value of a year of work is or a year off work is, like it's a total shift in mindset. And this year that I've had off is invaluable. You can't buy it. It's like, yeah, so for me, it's totally worth it. And my monthly expenses, like whether it be a bill for insurance or whether it be um, going to Vegas with my wife splurging, um, mm -hmm. the value is there. So for me, it's worth it every time. And when you're looking at it just from the value standpoint, you're looking at it through a filter of what it's like to be human. When you're looking at the cost, it's almost like saying, how much will this transaction cost me? Whereas when you are looking at the value, you're, that's, it's more of an experience. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. If we wanted to cut down our costs in life, if we wanted to really minimize everything, we'd be bums living under the bridge. They've got no bills, uh, no expenses, and that that's it. And so you can cut everything out of your life, or you can think of it as like, how what are the things that are valuable to me 
and how can I afford them and how can I just fill my life with valuable things, experiences and stuff like that. Not valuable, exactly. not like, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> not gold necessarily. <laughs> Pretty jewels. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that approach. I love that mindset. But like practically speaking, like now that you no longer have like your high paying jobs, like you still have to be able to pay the bills, right? So like how are you and your wife able to support yourselves? You mentioned real estate. Is that the main thing that you guys are working on right now? Yeah, real estate um, has always been my primary vehicle to like, you know, investing. That started at a young age as well. Again, sort of going back to my parents, they bought an investment property. It was their first investment property. I was 18 at the time. And my head dad came to me and was like, hey, we're going to buy this investment property and you can like go in on it with us if you want. So like, yeah, I was interested and they're really mathematical about it. They said, cool, this house is uh, $200,000 and you can buy one quarter of it. So that's $50,000. And you can, you're responsible for like a quarter of the down payment. You're responsible for a quarter of the mortgage, a quarter of the, um, you know, the expenses, the taxes, insurance, but you will also receive one quarter of the like monthly incoming rent. So that was sort of, it was interesting to me. And I was only 18. I was like, hell yeah. And my parents are going to like help me do this. Sure. So they, um, yeah. So they got me interested in property. And then like a year later, they were like, Hey, um, Joel, why don't you buy another quarter this time off of us? So you'll own half of the property now and we'll reevaluate it. You pay us a quarter as a down payment. You assume, you know, half of the mortgage, taxes, insurance, all that. And then also my my mom sat me down and was like, oh yeah, by the way, now that you own half of this, you're managing the books. And they made the property management company um, call me as the primary property manager. And then, yeah, she sat me down and showed me how like cash flow works, which was like, uh, I mean, you can't buy education like that. This is like true, like thrown in the hot seat. So yeah. man, real estate for me, it just it just made sense. I don't know. And then when I got to the US, <laughs> uh, I was born and raised in Australia and the rules are, let's just say stricter down there. So when I got to the US and there's all these like, you can you could build wealth very quickly here in the US. I just sort of went on a bit of a rampage, uh, particularly the last five years. Um, when I moved to the US, I bought an apartment in the city that I lived in. When I moved to California, uh, everything was too expensive. So I studied out-of-state investing and that's when I really got interested into multifamily properties like duplexes and fourplexes and stuff like that. So yeah, my wife and I sit on a, a, a healthy size real estate portfolio that um, pays us a little bit of dividends, if you will. Um, we've also got like <laughs> a big cash pile that we're living off that when that runs out, yeah, oh, we're, I'm going to go back to work. So um, <laughs> it's not unlimited money, but that's how I'm surviving right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Matt and I, were super into real estate. We've got our own small real estate portfolios, mom and pop style investors. And and we manage our own properties, which can be a challenge at times. Uh, you know, we're the ones getting the emails, getting the phone calls and having to, you know, having to find the person to, to fix the issue uh, or go fix it ourselves. So for you, as someone who's kind of doing the out of state landlording for the most part, and you have people kind of managing that for you, how have you found that has worked for you and have you had any issues come up? Yeah. So I think before I was, I uh, had property manager, I tried to manage things myself and I suck at managing tenants. So like kudos <laughs> to you guys, because it requires a really unique set of skills that I'm sure you have. 
So yeah, like I learned the hard way that property management is definitely worth it. Um, actually, a funny story I like to tell, like because I'm so nice, like I'm, I would give away the farm. Truly, like um, this one of my tenants, she was this girl. She was paying eight hundred bucks a month for one of my apartments, and her lease was coming up. And the apartment should have rented for about a thousand bucks a month. So she was already like under market rent. We sat down to work out like a new negotiation for a lease renewal. And somehow, and I don't really know how, how it happened, but like somehow I walked away from the negotiation agreeing to let her pay $650 per month moving forward on the new lease. So <laughs> oh, like, no. yeah, I just, I love giving all my profits away. So professional property management is like, a must-have for me moving forward with everything I do. Now, here's a funny story because I still screw up all the time with professional property managers. Like, sometimes I'll talk to them and they're like, so how's it going? What problems are you facing? Oh, how can I help you? And I will mess up their business. Like, I pay them to do a job and then I screw it up <laughs> on top of that. The Probably the biggest thing that's happened with tenants and one of the biggest lessons I learned, actually... I had this one place that um, was running so smoothly. The property manager didn't call me for like a year. The tenant paid rent on time. I never heard anything from them. And then one day I got a phone call out of the blue. It was from a private investigator. And he said, hey, do you own this property at blah, blah, blah address? I said, uh, yeah, is everything all right? And he said, yeah, look, we've been investigating and we have reason to believe that your tenant in there is running an illegal massage parlor and offering prostitution services. Oh, Ooh. no. Ooh. And yeah, like my heart sank. That's not the, the kind of call you want to get as, no. uh, as a property owner. My goodness. No. And so it's pretty interesting how you want to not be involved in managing your properties, but you also, you need to be involved because mm. you are the one that holds the ultimate like responsibility. So that was a wake up call for me that like, you can't turn your back on your business, no matter how many tasks you outsource to others, you have the ultimate responsibility of double checking their work and you're responsible when things go wrong and they don't do their job. So yeah, that was a, that was a fun problem to solve. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Wow. That, that, I don't think I, I've had some interesting real estate stories, but nothing that comes even close to the terror. I haven't dealt with that yet. Yeah. But. The terror of receiving a phone call like that. Um, but yeah, that's fascinating, Joel. Um, we've got uh, uh, some more questions for you specifically about getting up at 5 a.m. and how Matt and I, we want to know more about how we can potentially incorporate that in our lives, especially with kids, kids who are waking us up in the middle of the night. And so we're going to ask you some questions in that vein right after this break. Awesome. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. 
That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop Mm -hmm. they were fresh out of the oven they had that perfectly flaky crust but guess what that serendipitous experience would never had happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel we had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town thanks to airbnb ah man i'm still dreaming about those meat pies you're making my (laughs) you're making me drool and while turning to airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we are back from the break. And like the title of this episode mentioned, uh, like we hinted at, we're going to talk about waking up early. And so, Joel, if, if someone isn't used to waking up crazy early like, like you do, uh, what tips do you have for folks who want to start making this a part of their everyday routine? Yeah, well, actually, let me first by say, start by saying this. I'm still not used to it. So, like, I think by <laughs> that now... That doesn't breed confidence, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm being dead serious. So it's been three years since I started getting up at 5 a.m. And I thought that by now I'd be this magic morning person, like wouldn't need an alarm. I just like wake up, big smile on my face. But that hasn't happened at all. (laughs) The truth is it's like still extremely difficult. So I have to have discipline and um, a lot of like self-control to continue doing it. So Mm. there is no like 
easy route to success. You can't just make a quick change. You have to like just keep going and going and going. So if you're ready to like try the struggle, know that I'm still <laughs> in the struggle with you. If you and, want to sign up for all this heartache. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's so funny that you say heartache because it, it does... <laughs> It does kind of suck every morning waking up. <laughs> but here's the cool thing. It only sucks for like two minutes. And I think of it this way. Like two minutes of suckiness for two hours of awesomeness. Like it's actually a pretty cool trade if you think about it. So if I can suffer yeah. through two minutes of hard times getting up, it's literally like, oh, I'm a little bit cold. Oh, I'm a little bit daisy. I just need my coffee. And then once you break through that two minute mark, you have like, you're ready to like do awesome stuff that morning. And it is such a massive benefit. So what a great trade, two minutes of pain for two hours of gain. And that's a trade that anyone should take. And I take it every single day. So that's the way I think of it. So going in with a good mindset, uh, if anyone wants to try it, that's, that's what you're in for. It's going to be a sucky two minutes, but like an awesome couple hours. Yeah, you know, I, that's funny. I don't know if it's encouraging or discouraging that it's still hard for you when I think about it like that. But I think when I think about uh, what it's like in my own life to do things that are really meaningful, it doesn't, it, usually it doesn't get easier. Usually those things that are meaningful continue to, like, I have to get motivated to continue to, to do those things, even if it's something that I've enjoyed doing or been doing for, for quite a while. Like, even just sometimes getting together to podcast. I love podcasting. It doesn't mean it's easy every time we do it. it. It involves a lot of work and a lot of bringing myself, my whole self to the process. So that's, I feel like that's a really interesting. It's really interesting to hear you say that. The, the other thing I'd add to that is um, it's kind of like um, you could think of it as a compounding effect as well. You can't just throw in like a thousand bucks in the stock market and like hope that it doubles the next year. It's not going to, it's going to take time. So you like, you have to keep yeah. investing and keep investing and keep investing. And the truth is just like continuous additions to what you're doing. That's what 5am is every day. So you can't just do it for 30 days and then your life is magically different afterwards. Your life is magically different if you keep trying to make it magically different. So that's what it is every day. So when, when it comes to people with kids, Joel, like what do you tell them about waking up early? Because sometimes like Matt and I, we've got newborns and I'm waking up in the middle of the night to, uh, to go pop a pacifier in or you know what? Honestly, it's the four and the six-year-old that are waking me up more than the newborn a lot these days. But for somebody like that, like what helpful thoughts can you give to someone who has kids and, and it, you know, has a harder time because they, they aren't getting maybe the good sleep that's required to make it you know, even that much easier to wake up at 5 a.m.? <laughs> Dude, I have no good answer for that question because I don't have kids. I really don't. And I don't, I can't even imagine how hard it is to have kids. And quite honestly, like one of the tips that I have for waking up early is to try and get enough sleep. So if you're already sleep deprived, yeah. I don't recommend trying to like make it worse. So yeah. I don't know, maybe when you've got a newborn, that's probably not the right time to try a 5am challenge so that that's as good as or I it's the best that. time because yeah. <laughs> you're already up at 5am yeah well i mean for joel I, based on you know i i've known you for years and and i get your emails i read them every morning and for for me i've tried to kind of make an adjustment at least and i've been like you know what i know 5am is not going to work for me but i was waking up at 6 40 when my kids woke up 
And I knew that I didn't like the way I met the day when I woke up at 6.40 as my kids were waking up. And so I set a goal for me that felt reasonable, which was to wake up at 6 a.m. So I I love the idea of waking up at 5 a.m. And maybe that'll be a reality at some point in my life. But 6 a.m. felt like, you know what? I had the time to take a shower, to get dressed, to have my coffee and to do a little bit of reading before everybody else kind of invaded my day. And that that's my time. And it's not 5am, right? But it's at least kind of what I can bring to the table at this point in my life. So, I, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I think when people challenge me on why do you think I should get up at 5am, I actually tell them like, I don't care when the hell time you think you should get up <laughs> or not. But what I will challenge them on is why do you get up in the morning? Like, what is your reason for getting up? Most people's reason is work. That's why they get up in the morning. And it used to be mine too. So I'm not like criticizing, but like three or four years ago, if I had work at nine, I would get up at eight. If I had work at eight, I'd get up at seven. Like I'd just get up an hour before work because that's the time that it took me to get ready and get to work. Like the reason I got up was for work. Well, Hmm. like that's not a great reason to live your life and do your whole schedule by. So I started thinking, hang on a sec. I want to get up for me. I want to get up for a list of things that I create for you. It was reading and stretching or having coffee, like you said. So now I think I get up for me. So whether that means 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 6.40 or whatever, yeah, I think you should get up for your own personal time. And kind of as a segue to that, I, I always tell people about the pay yourself first mentality. And you guys are familiar with pay yourself first when it comes to money, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, like if you pay yourself first, you will never run out of money and it's a good money rule to have. I think of the same with time. I think a lot of people, they wake up and um, everyone has the same amount of time, but they pay all of their hours. They spend all their hours with everyone else first. They wake up and immediately they give their hours away to traffic, to work or school And then it goes to your chores, your friends, your family obligations, dinner and stuff like that. And then you pay yourself whatever's left over at the end of the day. But the problem with paying Mm. yourself whatever's left over is usually it's nothing left over or it's not of very high quality. Like the person who pays themselves money, like whatever is left over, usually has no money in the bank. So I think if you shift the clock... And you're like, hang on a sec. If I pay myself the first few hours of the day, I will never have a shortage of time. Like time will always be on your side. You're always in control of your time. After you've paid yourself an hour or two or how long it takes to do your stuff, then give it to everyone else. And what you'll find is just like money, you will like build this platform for yourself to be able to help others more. So my two hours of personal time in the morning help me work better. They help me like help others better throughout the day. Yeah. And stay organized. So yeah, pay yourself first for you at 6am. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, what, what I'm hearing you say is that like, basically you've identified why you're getting up early, right? <laughs> like you said at the beginning there, like before it was just because you're getting up early to be able to give that time to your work. But if you can actually identify why it is that you want to get up early and have it be something that you're really excited about, like that could be the motivation to get you up because I know when I'm laying in bed and the alarm goes off, well, I want to snooze for a little bit longer because I know that I'm just getting up to start the day, not necessarily to maybe finish the novel that I want to, you know, complete or, you know, maybe go for a run or different things like that. Uh, If I haven't identified a specific task, uh, you know, that I want to accomplish, 
And I'm going to hit that snooze button and, and kind of lay there for about five more minutes because that feels really good. <laughs> I will say, by the way, I, I just bought the website 6amjoel.com and you're going, to have, you're going to have a rival out there now, Joel, okay? I love it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> good. Luck. Maybe I can shut down mine then. You can take over my side if you want. <laughs> um, nope, dude. I'm so glad you said that about creating a reason to get up because if you won't get up if there is no reason to get up. So create a to-do list the day before for the morning time. If you wake up and then you don't have a to-do list, you're not going to get up. You're just going to hit the snooze button. And it doesn't have to be a like a fascinating, mind-blowing list. It can be as simple as like get up, put coffee on, stretch for 20 minutes, read for 20 minutes, and walk the dog. Done. That's your to-do list. But now that you've got like five bullet points to check off, when you wake up, you think, cool, I got something to do. I'm going to go do it. So, so you've mentioned a couple of tips, uh, having someone like potentially an accountability partner, right? That you're, you're texting or that you're staying in contact with about, you know, your, your wake up schedule, someone that you can, that's going through it with you, which I think would be super helpful. You just mentioned having a to-do list, preparing that the night before, you know, what else can someone do that's going practical tips that are going to help them stick to this? Because it's really easy. I would think to say, I'm going to get up at 5am and do it twice and then fail and then never do it again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, one is like stay consistent, do it every day. A uh, big failure I see people do is they will try getting up at 5 a.m. like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then when the re- weekend rolls around, their reason is completely <laughs> out the window because their reason was work. So huh. they go right back to like sleeping in until 10. And if you try and create a habit, but you're doing it five days on, two days off, you can't do it. Like, that is so difficult. When Monday rolls around again, you're going to have such a hard time. So I would say a good tip is to do it every day. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, is consistency. And so doing that every day, yeah, I think that's so smart. Joel, yeah, you mentioned accountability. And you also mentioned too, just having a list of those different things that you want to do. You know, that kind of gets us to your email list. Part of what you do when you wake up early is you send out a message to folks on your email list. Uh, can you uh, explain what that's all about? Yeah, it started out as a work email to my colleagues. Like when I started, when I first started getting up at 5 a.m., I was crushing it at work and I was sharing a story with just a small team saying like how cool it is to get up early. And the next day I got up at five and I sent them all an email. I said, see, it's 5 a.m. and I'm doing well and we're going to have a good day. And it was a bit of a, like a pump up speech. People liked it. So I did it the next day and then the next day and the next day, you know, I'd get up every day and I'd send my immediate team an email that says, hey, guys, we're going to crush it today. Let's do this. And, you know, we're the best team in the West Coast and stuff like that. Probably really annoying for them. But, um, you know, people seem to like it. And then um, the list kind of just took off, I guess. Um, I added my parents who thought it was really cool that I was so motivated every morning. <laughs> and they forwarded it to my other relatives and siblings. And then people started requesting to be on the list, like other people within the company. And then when I left work, everyone was like, well, I hope you can still send your 5 a.m. email. So that's when I made it public and I created a website and you can actually go on my website and see all of my archives. There's like, I've been doing this for like a thousand days now. So you can see an email from every single day. When I get up, I send this email out and people find me from the weirdest places. They subscribe to my list and yeah, they're from people from all over the world. So they get an email from me every single day. And it's, it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's random. It's got a theme of like motivation <laughs> and stuff. I mean, you guys know what it's like. It's either a quick 
you know, it's less than a hundred words. It's a, a short motivational message or like a, a lesson that I've learned or a funny story or a photo or a productivity tip or a money tip. And uh, it's just quick and it's short. It's letting people know that I'm up and I'm ready to face a new challenge and that I'm learning and that's what it's about. And if you want for anyone out there who wants an accountability partner, I mean, my 5 a.m. email goes out 5 a.m. Pacific time every day. If you want to hit reply, I get the reply and I can see whether you're up or not. So if you want me to be <laughs> your accountability partner, just sign up for my list. That's how it was born. And it's growing and it is so fun and interesting. So, Well, 5 a.m. your time is 8 a.m. my time. So I can do that. I can stick so. to that schedule. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. Exactly. <laughs> Joel, I mean, honestly, I I love subscribing to it because I appreciate your optimism. I appreciate your sense of humor. Your bright outlook is just like effusive as I begin my day. So yeah, I, I appreciate getting those emails, man. I appreciate you, your dedication to continuing to send them out every single day, even after you left your job. And, and it's really interesting to hear how your list has grown. And I appreciate being part of it. So for, for our listeners, for the folks that want to find out more about you, they can, of course, sign up for your email at your website. But how else can they kind of get in touch with you and learn more about you? That's pretty much it. My email, um, sorry, my uh, website, it's 5amjoel.com. There's a little contact section if you want to shoot me a note. I stay off social media a lot. I don't have a Facebook. So um, yeah, you've got to interact with me through my website. <laughs> Very cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, Joel, this has been a super fun conversation, man. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Cheers. Yeah, man. Thanks again. Man, what a fantastic conversation with uh, 5 a.m. Joel. I feel like I have to say that too, by the way, to you know differentiate between you and our guest, 5 a.m. <laughs> Joel. But uh, I wish we were in the same city. We can kind of hang out with him more. But Joel, do you have a big takeaway that you want to share with us? Well, first, I love his name. I love his personality. I love his optimism. He's just an infectious dude. So I, yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation with him. And yeah, I think my big takeaway from this conversation was... I love how Joel thinks about assessing everything through the specific lens of value. What sort of value is this going to provide? And he even said, you know, whether it's the $120 Amazon Prime decision or even a $1 decision, he's thinking about... Or an entire year's worth of salary right. decision. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's the most massive decision possible or, or these tiny micro decisions, assessing it through that lens of value just kind of creates... You know, it, it might take a second. It's not instantaneous to recognize whether it's worth it or not. It, it might take a little bit of digging or thinking. But when you do think about things like that, I think you're going to find that your money is prioritized in a way that you feel better about. And you're probably going to find out at the same time that you, you're spending less uh, of your money too. So yeah, I love that value proposition, the value lens that he sees everything through. Yeah, that's so good. Well, mine's going to be oriented more towards the 5 a.m. proposition of, of getting up early. He only touched on this for a second, and I kind of wish we would have looped back to it. But he, he mentioned wanting to make sure that you get enough rest. And I was kind of thinking about that in the back of my mind a little bit. And what that means for me is going to bed earlier, yeah. earlier than I normally do. And I know that that is the number one reason why it's so difficult for me to wake up in the morning, specifically because I do wake up early a little bit. I'm kind of aware that it's early and I could get up, but I think to myself, well, I need to stay healthy. This is the conversation I have with myself pretty much. And I know if I get up now, that's only six hours of sleep when in reality, like it'd be great to have something closer to eight. And so I kind of talk myself out of getting up early by arguing with myself saying that I'm going to, you know, I might get sick. And, you know, there's different studies too, where, you know, if you're not getting enough sleep, your creativity, it plummets, or even your IQ, it's harder to uh, solve different problems and stuff like that when you have, you know, a limited amount of sleep. So these are all the, the arguments I have with myself as I'm laying in bed and it's just me talking myself 
out of getting up early. And so, yes, for me, I know that means going to bed earlier. And he did mention the accountability factor as well. And I think that could be a, a strong piece of me actually trying to get up early. Yeah, Matt. So I guess uh, the big question after this conversation is, are you going to wake up early? Or are you going to start getting up at 5 a.m.? I was actually wondering if you were going to ask that or if 5 a.m. Joel was going to ask that <laughs> during, us on the spot. during the interview. <laughs> because I kind of cringe because it is hard. But at the same time, I didn't realize you're getting up at 6 too. And so I think the sort of competitive side of me thinks, well, if you're getting up at 6, I bet I can do that. <laughs> I will say, yes, if you're challenging me, I will commit to at least getting up by six and maybe even a little bit earlier. Maybe if, if I can send you that text at 545, you'll see that Ooh. I'm beating you to the punch a little bit and we can, we'll see how this, uh, this actually tracks for the next couple of weeks and maybe we'll, uh, we'll report back. All right. If I start getting texts from you at 545, I'm going to up my game and get up at 545 <laughs> too. We're going to make it happen. It's a losing battle. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? All right, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on the show. We had an awesome beer by Modern Times called Black House and it was a coffee stout and big thanks to my friend Craig who is a brewer at Modern Times for sending us some of their beers. Matt, what was your take on this one? Well, did you like that, by the way? I chose the coffee stout since we're talking about getting up early. Oh. I was, I was trying to be clever. A perfect little, reference. A little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really enjoyed this beer, man. Uh, specifically, what it reminded me of, nitro coffee. Have you ever had nitro coffee before? I have. Yeah, basically where they just inject nitro into the coffee. So it kind of comes out like a Guinness. Like silky smooth. Silky smooth. And that's how this beer drank. It was silky smooth. Uh, it almost did kind of feel like a Guinness in my mouth. But it had those coffee notes. It wasn't too robust and, and overly smoky. It was just a nice balanced coffee stout. Really dug it. Yeah. So on the can, uh, it says that it tastes like a chocolate covered espresso bean. Oh, that's perfect. And I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much the best description that anybody could come up with for this beer. So I'm going to stick with that. I think it really did kind of taste like that. It had those nice roasty coffee notes. And Modern Times is a brewery, but also a roastery. So they do include a lot of coffee in their beers. I didn't beers. know that. Yeah, and they sell coffee as well. It's a really neat company. They're employee-owned. They, they've done just a, an amazing job of remaining super cool and making great beers as they've grown. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed this beer. I got, I'm glad we got to have it on the show today, man. Yeah, it was great. And thanks again to Craig for sending this one our way. So Joel, it's going to be it for this episode. Folks can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. And don't forget to check out Joel's website as well, 5amjoel.com if you're wanting to learn more about him. Yeah. And ultimately, it's the new year. And Matt and I here on the show at How to Money, we have a lot in store for you moving forward. And in particular, this month of January, we've got guests and show topics that we think are going to be really helpful as you begin this new year to stay motivated to get your finances in order. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're informed of each episode as we release them. And Matt, I guess that's going to do it. So until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.